All right, we are in our Christmas playlist series. Um, by the way, for those of you who did not grow up um, around records, it does not get louder when you put the needle on. It, you, you can't hear it until you put the needle. Just, just FYI, if you're at home looking at it, saying, I don't hear it. Yeah, you, anyway, so. <laughs> uh, but Christmas playlist is our, our series we're in. And what is, are the song, what is the song that God is sending to us if we were to make a playlist uh, to his people about his character and about this message of the Christmas season. What are the songs? What's the playlist that he leaves for us? And this week we're going to look at the song of love. Now you, you, you hear Mariah Carey and Justin Bieber and just about everyone else sing about it on their Christmas albums. It's the, love is the theme that we hear all the time. Even on the Christmas movies, there's, at some point they say it's all about love in your heart or whatever. And I agree that the Christmas season is really about love. I think all the, the artists get that right. And, uh, but sometimes what they don't get right is, is they forget that the whole reason we think of Christmas as a season of love is because it is the actual demonstration of God's love for humanity. That's why this season exists. Because of his great love for his creation that he came down and actually took on flesh and lived among us so that we may have true life in him. And uh, so that's what we're going to explore today of this whole message of love. And sometimes when we think about this Christmas theme and, and love, and it becomes very familiar. For some of you, you're saying, I know, Ryan, I've heard this 50 times my whole life, or 80 times, or in some cases in our church, 96 times I've heard this message, and, and I've heard about God's love over and over and over again. And so I know, I know. And so the question for us today is, how do we take something that's so familiar, yet so profound, and let it still have an impact on our lives. That's something that we want to explore. And, and to help us start off to do that, I want to invite up uh, Dale and Becky Burt. Come on up because uh, they have some, a, a unique story. And uh, they're going to share. We're going to use our fireside chat here. <laughs> it actually gives off heat. You know, you know. <laughs> we thought if we were going to make a Hallmark set, we might as well use it. So... <laughs> So, but yeah, so um, one reason I, I have them up here is because just uh, maybe you can give a little bit of background, but when I think of this, um, you know, you two have been uh, married for many, many years, and you've been involved in ministry uh, and preaching this message of, of love and Christmas and for uh, a long time now. So just share a little bit of your background. How long have you been doing this? Yeah, so how long have you been doing this, Ben? <laughs> well, we have been in full-time ministry for 40 years yeah, as wow. of this year. As of this year. 41 wow. coming up. Yeah. yeah. We've been married 45 years, but actually... Yeah. yeah, we actually started doing ministry together when we were dating, you know, okay. because I, I, we were both pretty serious about our faith, and uh, we started dating when I was a young 16-year-old studly guy <laughs> which is hard to imagine today but yeah yeah and and so we started dating in high school and actually we, was uh, we're already doing ministry together in a youth ministry and then through college so we've actually what's that add up to almost 50 years right almost 50 years but wow the thing that was interesting is just two weeks ago we were in my home church in west virginia Yep. where that all began and how we were motivated by a church body that encouraged our faith. Hmm. 
Yeah, and they actually adopted us as one of their missionaries, you know, because we are self-supported now, yeah. thanks to Seacoast and others supporting us. But, yeah, so we actually, uh, just as of January 1st, we will become missionaries of the church that she grew up in and that I was involved in their youth ministry oh, that's 50 great. years Such ago. Such a blessing. So, so we will be their youngest missionaries. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's, I, I love the, the fact that, um, you know, we see so many stories of people uh, kind of walking away from faith. And so mm-hmm. it's always encouraging to have not only uh, having vibrant faith after so many years, but also be involved in helping others to discover life in Christ for that many years. So, uh, so after all these years of teaching about the good news of God's love, uh, for you, how do how how do you keep that message meaningful? I think for me, it really goes back to John fifteen. Jesus, you know, says, "Abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit." Abiding in Christ, drawing your life, discovering life in Christ, is what it's all about. But then he uses this phrase, "And abide in my love." And as I thought about this, Ryan, it's kind of like every single day I have to abide in the love of God. I've got to walk and live and breathe in the atmosphere of his grace and his love. And that's what makes life work because I still sin and Becky knows it. So, but she's not allowed to talk about it today. Yeah, so I got to abide in his love. I think that's it. You know, Ryan, when Dale told me a week or two ago that you wanted to have us come up here and talk about this, it was so interesting. The very day he told me that, as I went to my quiet time that morning, I was faced with a passage at Titus 3. And it was just, I thought, wow. And basically, I'm not going to read the whole passage. But it says that when God revealed his kindness and his love, in doing that, he not just saved us, he gave us his righteousness, he, um, he gave us his spirit, he forgave us of our sins, and he gave us the assurance of eternal life. And then it goes on and it says, so that we will devote ourselves to doing what is good because we have his righteousness. And I thought, wow. Ryan, you asked that in my very quiet time (laughs) that day. I've kind of made it a goal over the years to read through the entire Bible every year. And I've been doing that for several years now. And I just thought, wow, I'm coming down to the end of the year and I'm in (laughs) Titus. And that was what came through. That's amazing. I love that, just that imagery of just rehearsing the good news, rehearsing that, just being reminded. It never gets old. That like, God, you give us your righteousness. This is what you've done for us. I love that. Yeah, it never gets old, and we always, always need it. And even in our, quote, latter years, <laughs> um, you know, I was looking back, and I actually have a little notebook that's about a three-by-five-inch notebook that I used when I preached my very first sermons at age 16 in some churches. Hmm. And one of those four sermons, which I still have tucked away in a desk, Hmm. was on the love of God. Hmm. Because it's so central to the gospel, it's so central to the good news. So I've been preaching that thing for almost 50 years. Wow. But Ben, you discovered something too. You were telling me about Hebrews chapter 6. This past week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. In Hebrews 6, oh, I love this. I even... (laughs) made a little note of it. Um, Hebrews 6, the context there is that uh, we need to be growing in our faith. We don't want to stay, stay as young babes in the faith. And, and in verse 9, he actually says in Hebrews, we are, uh, we are confident that we are meant for better things. 
I love that, that we are meant for better things. Verse 11 goes on and says, Our desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. Right. As long as life lasts. And then the result for us would be that we would be spiritually, we would not be grow spiritually dull and indifferent. And that's what we desire. Yeah. Yeah, So how does that, I I love that. That's such a great verse for that. So how does that practically, you know, what are some practical ways that you see that God's love being lived out in your lives now? Yeah. Yeah. As we thought about this, you know, I, I think that really it's the same no matter what age you are or phase of life, but especially now. You know, it's been our love for Christ because of his love for us. That dynamic is what has always moved us to say, all right, God, we want to be available to you. What do you want us to be doing? And that's when I made a career shift from wanting to grow up to uh, be an architect, which was my (laughs) kind of childhood dream, (laughs) Uh, be an engineer, make a lot of money, um, and decided instead we felt God calling us into, into ministry full time. Um, and then a few years ago, we felt that God kind of grabbed our heart again, and uh, we began to recognize the incredible needs in Africa for pastors. 80% of, hum- 80% of African pastors have zero formal training. So to say, all right, God, what have you entrusted to us over the first two-thirds of our life, and how can we begin to maximize using that um, to invest where the need is greatest. So what we're trying to do really is just invest where we see the greatest needs around the world, which right now is, um, is Africa. And I think it just really grabbed our hearts. I mean, you know, at the very beginning of this, I thought, I've been a pastor's wife for 40 years, but <laughs> my life is very different from the pastor's wives I know in Africa. But when I get there and I get to know them, they have the same things going on in their heart that I have all these years. And that gives me something to share with yeah. them. And that motivates me. Yeah, people are people. Women are women. Pastors are pastors. Churches are churches. Families are families. Mm. We have more in common with the African church than we realize. Yeah. Um, we really do. So Maybe that's where we saw a great need, which kind of ties into the other half of what we're doing, which is working with Seacoast and being part of the teaching team, but also working with 50 plus. Yeah. Because God's given us a growing passion for reminding those of us who are 50 plus and up. We like to call it the third third of life. Yeah. It's better than the fall season of life, which comes before <laughs> winter. You know, So we're not autumn leaves falling off the tree yet. Okay? <laughs> right, right. So, but the third third of life, what we've discovered is one of our passions is to challenge people in the third third of life to discover their greatest, um, uh, discover how, what God has done to shape them and give them as resources, experiences, knowledge, and then say, where can I invest that around the world? In fact, Beck- I read a book a few years ago that really motivated me by David Corbett. It's not even a Christian book. I think he's maybe Jewish. And it's called The Portfolio Life. And I love this quote in there. It says, calling is the place where our deepest gladness meets the needs of the world. Hmm. And I think for all of us, what has God done here in our lives and our hearts, and how can we use that for 
his ministry around the world. Yeah, I, I love that idea of your, the deepest gladness where it meets the greatest needs. And I yeah. think that really gets you kind of from saying, let me just be an autumn leave yeah. <laughs> yeah. to, you know, I still have life to give. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, Becky has a saying based on Psalm yeah, 92. Yeah, Psalm 92. I've probably shared it before here with people, but it talks about in Psalm 92 verses 12 to 15, it talks about being... Uh, very green and full of sap in your old age. <laughs> and when I think of that, I think that means I still need to be growing, Sappy. open, flexible, <laughs> being able to be used by God all the way till the end of life. Yeah, you don't want to grow rigid like an old dead branch. You know mm. what I mean? You, you want to stay flexible and able to bend and flex and go and do whatever God wants you to do. And it's not just for people in their 50-plus phase either. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask, what are the advice for for those of us who maybe aren't even as old as you've been doing ministry? Yeah. You know, if there's anyone like that here. Yeah. 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 You know, Brian, you're not too far from qualifying for 50 plus. So let me just say, Sarah seems like she's way away. She's yeah. But you're getting some gray. Okay. So now I think that the only reason that we can be of value to the to God and his kingdom in our 50 plus years is because of what we have been doing, trying to abide in his love, live out of his love and serve him for the first two thirds of life. Mm. So, you know, the, the secret is begin right now at any age, uh, whether you are in junior high, high school, whether you're a young adult, married, mm-hmm. single, asking the question, God, what gifts have you given me? What resources? How can I be available to you? Mm. And then you begin to develop what Becky calls this portfolio in your life, mm. out of which you can live with greater effectiveness, actually, in that final third of life. Yeah, and no matter. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. Whatever you're doing in your life, representing Christ in your career or in school or wherever, just be attentive. Be attentive while you're younger as to how God is working, leading, touching your heart. Hmm. Because then you can live with significance and meaning and purpose, which is really what a lot of people are looking for. Yeah. Um, You know, people are looking for it, not just those of us who are followers of Christ. I think the world we communicate with and live amongst, people are looking for you know, there's got to be more to life than just trying to uh, take up space on planet Earth mm. and then go back to the dirt. <laughs> but there is an eternal purpose to your life, so live that out. So while you're young, build, build that portfolio. Yeah. I love that. What a, yeah. great, what a great way to say it. Well, I, I think it would be great. Let's, let, allow me to pray for just, you know, thank you for your service here at Seacoast and, and as, you know, missionaries of Seacoast as well. But, but I think it's even just being the example to so many of us of, okay, this is what it means to, to follow Christ for the, the long haul and still have a vibrant faith. And so that's an encouragement, I think, to all of us. So I want to pray for you as we uh, transition. God, we thank you so much for Dale and Becky. I thank you for their kids. We thank you for the ministry they've had with uh, thousands of people um, in the States and even overseas. And Lord, we thank you for the example that they are of having a faith that lasts. And um, even just the heart, the desire uh, to remain green and full of sap, still having life to give. And so Lord, let that be an encouragement to all of us. And the reminder that that life can be given because we've received it from you.
And so thank you for them. We ask blessings in their ministry uh, here at Seacoast in North County, San Diego, and to the ends of the earth. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's thank them as we transition here. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that, being full of sap. So that, that's such a great imagery there. You know, on, and we're talking about Christmas playlists and this whole idea of the song of love. And one of the songs that we sang today was this, a kind of a new take on the song Noel, which is a, a, a word proclaiming Christmas. But it says, come and see what God has done. The story of God's of amazing love, the light of the world that was given for us. And I kind of often think of this, of, of what must have that been like on the first Christmas. We read in Luke chapter 2, we see the angels come and proclaim this thing that happened with the, with, to the shepherds and say, hey, the first people are going to know are the shepherds. And so the angels appear to them and tell them, hey, there's, the Messiah has been born. God has come to you. And, but I like to kind of go back in, in my mind, I, I just wonder what it was like in the heavenly courts when the angels are talking with God about this whole plan. And, and maybe they had known from the beginning as, as the prophecies started coming out, and they're like, okay, this is your plan. But, but I, I kind of envision the angels saying like, now, are you sure this is how you want to do it? I mean, and the angels are talking with God, and this is not in the Bible, by the way. Don't go home and look it for this. This is, this is in my head. <laughs> But I, I picture the angels with this conversation and saying like, okay, God, you know, we've been helping you out with this kind of looking over earth thing for a long time. And have you seen these people? Are you sure you want to become one? I mean, they get tired and weak physically. I mean, they, these people, they, they get sick. These people go through puberty. Are, I, are you sure you want to enter into their existence and you want you? You want to experience this. These people can be backbiting. They can gossip about each other. These people aren't always very kind. They fight. They have a hard time forgiving. They compete. They're always trying to get ahead. Are you sure that you want to do this? And I imagine God looks at them and says, yeah, but they need a savior. They need someone to stand in their place. And there's no one else who's worthy. And I can almost see the angels say, yeah, but you have to leave this. You would have to give up everything for them. And have God say, yeah, but they're worth it. They're worth it. So on that first Christmas, no wonder the angels proclaimed Glory to God in the highest. No wonder they worshiped. Today we want to look at what does this mean, this whole song of love. I want to keep that imagery in mind of this is so familiar to us, but this is such a, a, a detour from what makes sense that there's a God who looked at us and said, we're worth it. We're worth it. So what do we mean when we're talking about love? Because this is a love so much greater than the kind of love that we often see in our world. This is a love that, that is, is so counter to human love. 
And again, as we started and said, this message maybe to some of us seems very familiar. And as one person said in our teaching team when we were studying this, said, if the message of God's love gets old, she went on to say, we must not fully understand it. And and so today, we, we don't want this message. We want to fully understand it. So what do we talk about when we talk about love? Here's a few things. The love of God, love is not a transaction. When I think of humanity and the way we love people, it's often a transaction. It's, I will give you love if I will get love in return. And we tend to interact with people with one another. Our default mode is to see love as a transaction. I I was joking, I'm not going to throw anyone under a bus, but someone in our uh, teaching team said, even in the Christmas season, they, they give out their Christmas cards and send Christmas cards, but they always make a few extra just in case they get a card from someone who wasn't on their list so they can quickly get it back out to them and, and return. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but if, if you do that, I know some of us do that, right? You kind of have your, my give you the gift in case you give me the gift gifts ready to go. <laughs> That's because we often, it, it's, there's this transaction as part of our nature. So we're not talking about love as a transaction. We're not talking about love as a condition. As long as you've been good, you can be loved. We're not talking about that kind of love either. It's not a conditional love. The love we're talking about from God is given because of who the giver is, not the receiver. And we're also talking about love that's not very common. Love is sometimes hard to accept. Some of us don't do a good job even accepting love from others because we don't feel worthy of it. Some of us in here struggle accepting love from God because you think, God, but if you really saw, if you really knew, if other people knew the thoughts in my mind or the actions when no one's looking, if, if you really knew me, would you still love me? So this love is not common. It's hard to accept and it's hard to give. So how does the story of God's love on Christmas give us a new idea. What is the message of love that comes because of Christmas? That's what we want to go into more. And if you follow along with notes, we do have this in the notes for you today. And there's a few things that I say is, is the love redefined that we see because of the Christmas season. And the love redefined starts off, first of all, we get it in John chapter 3 verse 16 tells us about this. The ultimate idea of love is, for God so loved the world that he gave His only son, and whoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So the whole message of Christmas is God's love that he gave for us. He demonstrates that love and redefines love for us. So let's look at a few passages here today. And I'm going to jump around a little bit. And if you'd like to follow along in your scripture or in your Bibles, we have, uh, I'll let you know where we are. We also will have most of these on the screen. But the first thing that we see of how God redefines love through Christmas, through Jesus coming to be with us, is he gives a new command. When Jesus um, comes and teaches and lives, he gives a new command. In John chapter 13, verse 34, I have this on the screen for you. He starts off and, and he says this. He's speaking to him. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another even as I have loved you that you should also love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, you might think that doesn't seem to be all that profound. It seems like any, quote, religious person should know we should be loving, right? So why does Jesus say it's a new command I give to you? 
He's speaking to people who understood the Torah, the, old, uh, the scriptures. They understood the prophets and the writings. And he understood all of the, Hebrew, the people who understood the Hebrew scriptures. They knew that the greatest command was to love the Lord their God with all their heart, their mind, their strength. They would say it daily. So they understood about that. But why is it a new command that Jesus gives? What is it that is so new about his command? And looking back at that, we see that Jesus saying, even as I have loved you, my new command is your love is no longer conditional. It's no longer a transaction. And I want you to know it's not just about saying, okay, I've memorized enough verses. I I, I go to the temple to pray. I make my sacrifice. That's the way I love God. But Jesus is saying the new command is as you love one another. The way you do this without condition, the way I have loved you, you love others is the new command. It is a give first kind of love. It's more than just loving God with your whole heart. This is a love that means that even on the days when everybody is bugging you, you can still love. You ever have those days? I know I've confessed them before. Christmas season brings that out of us, doesn't it? The other day I was... um, I was at the grocery store and there was nowhere to park. I got a parking spot, um, but there was like nowhere else. It was completely packed. And I went back out to uh, my car and there was someone, she saw me go in there and like pulls up behind just waiting, which is fine. There's nothing wrong. That's what you do, right? But for some reason, this little something inside me is like, I feel like making her wait. (laughs) I almost feel like just putting something in my car and going back in. I didn't need, and and there was no, there's like no rational reason why I wanted to do it. It was just like, for some reason, I was bugged that she was waiting for the only potential available parking space. She's totally in the right. I do the same thing. But for some reason, this little human inside of me thought, it wouldn't, I just, uh, I'm going to do this for no reason at all. I see some of you are laughing either because you do the same thing. Or you saw me do that to you. So sorry, I apologize. <laughs> but there's, there's nothing in me that, I mean, but as humans, sometimes we just have that little, Jesus says, love as I've loved you. That would say, even if I was going for a spot and someone else wanted it, you'd say, you know what? Why don't you take it? Why don't you, I'm going to initiate love for no reason. I'm, the way I interact with others, I'm going to love recklessly. And that'd be so hard to do. Jesus says a new command I give you to love one another. You know what Jesus also said? Love, not, don't just love your neighbor, but love your enemies. I love how G.K. Chesterton said it about 100 years ago. He said, Jesus tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is saying the love I'm demonstrating to you is a love that will make others scratch their heads and make the angels stand back and wonder and say, what are we looking at? That the people in our community that maybe don't have a great view of Christianity, of God, of humans in general, would sit back and say, there's something so compelling about what I'm seeing from this group of people who are transformed by this Love. What is the love? It's a new command that Jesus gives. So Christmas is this new command. It's a new kind of love. It's a so countercultural love. What's the next thing we find? 
through Christmas season, we find that we have a new example of love. There's no condition attached to this example. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul is writing, and he says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. So Paul's writing and saying, what Jesus actually did, he gave himself up, which was a fragrant offering to God. If we want to even be a pleasing sacrifice to God, it's to love as Jesus did. He gave himself up for us. One of the conversations we had in our teaching team was even when Jesus said, love as I have loved you, he was telling that to his disciples before he already went to the cross. So sometimes we default to say, oh yeah, loving as Jesus loved was dying on the cross for others, and that's obviously the ultimate example. We're going to see some more verses about that. But he said that to his disciples even before he went to the cross. Even before he went to the cross, he had this love, this new example that is unconditional. Think of all the people that Jesus interacted with. Think of just his disciples. How did they experience the unconditional, the new example of God's love given to them before the cross? Think of that. How it must have been for them to, for once in their lives, have somebody speak truth into them. Speak this value and worth into them. To walk with them even in their failures. To look at a tax collector named Matthew who would have been hated by his own people and say, come and follow me. You're welcome. You're invited in. Peter, who had a tendency to open his mouth and say stupid things, why so many of us, including myself, identify so much with Peter, my kind of guy. Say what's on your mind. Later regret it. Yeah, go for it. And have Jesus just express this incredible love to him. Even as Peter said, Jesus, I would never deny you. In the same passage, he says, I'm gonna, I would lay down my life for you, Jesus. Before you die, I will die for you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, seriously, <laughs> Thank you for saying that, but before the night is over, you're going to deny me. And it happened. Imagine how that, for Peter, to know then that Jesus knew that about him and still loved him. This is love without condition. As a parent, we're challenged with this all the time, are we not? (laughs) To love without conditions. This is the new example that we've been given. See, Christmas did not come after God checked his naughty and nice list. He didn't look at the list and say, okay, they deserve me. I'm coming. I checked my list twice. They've been good enough for me to come now. So I'm going to go down and enter in. See, that's what makes sense to us. But Jesus said, oh, I've checked the list. It's so messed up that I'm going to go down. They need my love now. So we have a new example that comes from Jesus who comes when we have nothing to give in return. He gave. He gave. Who are the people in your life that we could love with no condition? Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it is one of your neighbors. Maybe it is the person waiting for the parking spot. The people that you will interact with at stores perhaps in the next couple days. 
those that you know are just dealing with all of us all the time, (laughs) how much can we actually express God's love to them? What difference could that make? A little smile, a little, hey, how are you today? Can I get you anything? It'd be amazing to see the difference. I thought uh, the other night, Sarah and I went out to eat. We don't get to go out to eat very often. Even though our kids are getting older now, we just cook better food than restaurants, I think, is what it, what it is. And, and, um, but we were out to eat, and our, our server, um, he, he was uh, unique. And he, he was just like, he was super ditzy. He, he didn't know what was on the menu or what the specials were. And, and he said, well, I, don't, I usually work upstairs, not down here. I thought, like, it's the same restaurant, right? Well, yeah, okay. But... Um, <laughs> And he came to check on us once after or before, asked us how our food was before he even took the order. And he kind of came over, like that yeah, muscle memory. He goes, hey, how is everything good? And he looked at us and went like, I mean, I'll be right back. I'm sorry. So we had one of those. And I was just thinking like, we could be really mean about this. We could, you know, get on Yelp and put the review right there. Or we could just say like, you know what? Who knows his story? And it's so easy for us to default into conditional. Instead of saying, the love of Christ, that's just such a, a small example. But how many times does God look at us and say, you guys have no clue what's going on, do you? If God did a Yelp review on our lives. <laughs> you have a new neighbor. This is from God. Um, you're going to find out that this person. <laughs> Unconditional love is a new example that was given. The third thing that we find with the Christmas story is we have a new motivation. See, because the first two don't work without the third one. Great that we have a new example of love. Great that we have a new command to love as Christ loved. But that's not very easy to do. But Christmas gives us a new motivation to love. It's actually what Dale and Becky were talking about beforehand. See, our love is we receive this vertical relationship with God that he has poured out into us. It's because of who he is and what he has done for us, what he does to us continually, the blessings he pours out in our lives, the identity he speaks into us, the forgiveness that we keep receiving over and over again. These are the things when we rehearse and remember that truth, we have a new motivation to love. Look at Romans chapter 5. I have a few verses for you, five uh, five through eight. It says this, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You've probably heard that before. If you haven't, it's such a privilege to be able to share that for you the first time. That when you were still undeserving, Christ died for you. When the world was still in darkness and messed up, the first Christmas happened. Jesus entered in. And when we rehearse that truth and remember that truth and keep going back to it, it doesn't cause us actually to say, well, I'm going to take advantage of your great love, God. I'm going to run from you because you've been so good to me. It actually gives us the motivation to love others. 
See, as we receive this unconditional love poured out on us, we now are free to love others horizontally. It's our response to who God is. And the more we receive this love from God, the more we find ourselves motivated. And it's the moments when the people around you are bugging you. When you look on the news and you can't find any channel that will give you the news in the way you want to hear it. (laughs) And when you look at our politicians and you think, seriously, who votes for any of these people? When you, my son and I went surfing yesterday and it was nice, clean, pretty good day to get out there. Even when you pull up in the parking lot and you look out like, why are all these people surfing today? We're going. Why should they be out here? (laughs) So many things. They're so small that can steal away from our joy. But when we rehearse, God, isn't it amazing that I even live in a place where I can do this in December? Isn't it amazing that I even can have, that you've given me the health to do this? Isn't it amazing that I can even go down to the beach with my son? Lord, why are, you've been so good to me. See these people out here? These are people you love too. Isn't it amazing that for some reason you got a hold of my heart and these are the same people that you're pursuing? Lord, you've poured out so much for me. How can I love others? as a response. So we go back to the angels that we talked about at the beginning. That image, that idea of the angels having this conversation in heaven, which again is not a a biblical conversation, but it's just this idea. Let's consider what else they said when God said, I'm going to go back down to them because they're worth it. And I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up as we end here. I imagine the angels would look at him and say, they're worth it? Are they really worth it? But then as they saw the story unfold, and they see the prostitute who was on the outcast, who's an outcast, to see her find hope in Jesus Who knows what all the wounds and scars in her life led her to where she was. But she was treated well by Jesus and welcomed in, given hope of a new life. Again, think of the tax collectors who were on the outside, who were invited to the inside. Think of the Pharisees who became followers of Jesus, who thought it was all about how religious they could be, how many laws they could follow, how good they could show up and appear in the inside of everyone else. When they found from Jesus to say, no, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and find rest in me. Think of the shepherds who were unclean, They were despised. They were the lowest form of their society and they were the first to hear about the Messiah. How would that story unfold? How did they see this? Think about the people in San Diego. Often distracted, sometimes selfish. Generally, we're unworthy for hope and redemption. Think about when our lives are being transformed by this love of God. When he 
you think of all those stories, I like to think to the angels that started to make sense. Oh, I see what you're up to. Maybe these people aren't so unsavable after all. Maybe there is a little bit of hope. Maybe through your life to them and poured out in them, maybe, maybe someone who didn't have peace can have peace. And the angel's response to this first Christmas when they started to understand was it said the whole heavenly host appeared And in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. They're praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those in whom his favor rests. At that moment, when Jesus appeared in the form of a baby, willing to go through life as one of us, for us. The angels responded and said, glory to God in the highest. How good is this God? How amazing is this love? What a profound thing that he's doing to turn everything upside down. This is so much better than we could have imagined. And their response was worship. Because of this great love, this great God. So we're going to end our time here. And we're going to respond as the angels responded. When we behold this message of this new kind of love, this new example, and this new motivation that came to us because of Christmas. Our response like the angels should be to worship. To be blown away at what God has done. So let's do that.